Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. There is the place of sanctified loneliness that is necessary. And it's a lonely place to be. No man or woman can go there with you. It's a transaction that takes place between you and the Lord. Did you hear me? If you want to be used by God, you got to go through this. And I don't know a man or a woman who has been used by God, who would not tell you, Pastor Rodney, that is exactly right. I'm a witness. It is impossible for God to use you unless you get in this place of sanctified loneliness. A transaction that takes place between you and the Lord. Somebody else once called it sanctified loneliness slash the dark night of the soul. The dark night of the soul. That's the place where you feel broken. That's the place where you feel forsaken by God. I I think, I think this might be what Jesus felt when he's on the cross and he says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's a sanctified loneliness, the dark night of the soul. For Jesus, are y'all listening? For Jesus, this was the first time that he ever really experienced a separation between God and himself in which the Father could not look upon sin. Jesus is on the cross bearing the entire sin of the world. The Father can't look at that, so he's got to turn away. It's almost like when your kids are something, some some of y'all can't stand to see your kids get sutures. You're like, oh, I can't watch that. I just, oh, I can't, I can't watch that. Well, the father couldn't watch it for his son to have to bear the sin of the entire world on his shoulders. And for Jesus, it was a sanctified loneliness right there. For Jesus, it was a dark night of the soul right there. Before God can use you, God has to prepare you and sanctify you. I think of Moses, who spent 40 years on the backside of the desert. I think of David, who spent many years among the sheep alone. God had Elijah alone praying before he comes on the scene. John the Baptist in the wilderness until the day he comes on the scene. Paul the apostle in the deserts of Arabia, unlearning the religiosity and the legalism of the law. Sanctified loneliness, that's what we're talking about. John the apostle on the island of Patmos. Nero thinks, I got this. Yeah, we'll, we'll get, well, we can't kill him. He won't die. We try to boil the man, he won't burn up. 
We try to kill him. He just won't bleed out. So we'll put him on the island of Patmos and just forget about him there on the rocky, barren island, not knowing all of that was in God's perfect plan. All of that was in God's perfect will to get John to a place where he can experience the dark night of the soul. Where my people at? Y'all know what I'm talking about. And, and, and to get John, I'll wait. I'll wait. And to get John to that place of sanctified loneliness and the dark night of the soul so that God can then give him the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, the flip side of that is if John had not been in that place of sanctified loneliness or the dark night of the soul, that he would not have been able to get the revelation of Jesus Christ. You have to go through that. And that's that's horrible. Horrible, 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 terrible, 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 awful. I've been there. I'm telling you. It's lonely. It's confusing. It's dark. Everything seems so ambiguous and elusive. And I'm doing the work of the ministry, but uh, it's just, I can't really I can't seem to get my, get, get, God, I can't seem to touch you. And even the more I get on my knees to pray and the more I read the Bible, and God, it doesn't seem like I can really touch you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's terrible. But I will tell you this, weeping may come in the night, but joy comes in the morning. <laughs> Let me tell you something. You need to clap your hands like you know what I'm talking about. Yes, you do. Let me tell you why. Because if you go through it, listen, if you go through it and you don't give up and you don't run, you will come out better. You will come out with a clarity and a, 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 a surety and a strength and a security and a depth of knowledge of who God is, not knowledge of the word, but just of who God is. You'll come out and you won't be the same. I'm trying to help somebody. But you got to get through this. And you got to wait on the Lord. That's why I keep telling you that recurring theme and that recurring idea of waiting on God. Stop moving so quick. Stop running around. Stop telling everybody everything and putting all your stuff on Facebook so that everybody can know what you're going through. Quiet down and tell God and watch God step in and do for you what you can't do for yourself. Stop. It's going to be okay if you stop. You're the one confusing the issue. God is saying, listen, you're in the place I want you to be. This is a dark night of the soul. You cannot say, God, I want to be used by you. God, I want you to use my life and make me the woman of God you want me to be. Make me the man of God you want me to be. And you don't go through this. It's not going to happen. It doesn't work that way. 
And I'm telling you what I know. I'm telling you what I know. I'm not telling, this is not, listen to me. This is, what I'm telling you now is not chapter and verse. It's not chapter and verse. These are things that certainly can be supported scripturally, the idea. But it, it's not going, well, if God wants to use you, you, you will have to go through the dark night of the soul. If thou wouldest not runneth, <laughs> thou shouldest stayeth where thou beeth. Albeit, if thou wouldest, it's not like that. You get me. So you have to go through it, and you look at look at like look at look at Moses, look at David, look at Elijah, look at John the Baptist, look at Paul the Apostle, look at John John the Apostle, look at every great man and woman of God throughout history that God has used. And you have to understand this. You have to accept it. God's going to use you. There's going to be deserts. There's going to be islands. Maybe you need to write that down. If God's going to use me, then there's going to be deserts. If God's going to use me, there's going to be islands. If God's going to use me, there's going to be lonely places. And God, listen, reserves the right to take you there. And it's necessary. God doesn't do things that are unnecessary. It's necessary. And you got to be willing to say, God, this is my broken life. This needs to be changed. The walls in this area of my life are broken down and they need to be rebuilt. God, there's so much rubble in my life. I can't get past. And when you say that, listen, that's when the rebuilding begins. And what we're talking about, listen, is foreign. This is foreign to our cultural thinking. I understand. There's probably people in this room have no idea what I'm talking about. Because this is foreign to our cultural thinking. It doesn't mean you don't need to hear it. Matter of fact, you need to hear it. But it's foreign to our cultural thinking. You go to the bookstore, you want to know what our cultural thinking is? Go to our bookstore, not our bookstore, but go to a bookstore and, and look on the shelves in a Christian bookstore, and, and just look at what's on the shelves. Then you can understand, you get an idea of feeling for what the Christian world out there is doing, what the Christian world out there is thinking, what are the ideologies of the Christian world. Go to any Christian bookstore and look at the books on the shelves. What are they selling? What are people writing about? We don't live in a culture where people think like this anymore of loneliness and barrenness and getting before God and, and those kind of things. We don't live in a culture like that. The bookshelves in the bookstores today are books, are books on how-tos. How-tos. How to do this and how to do that and how to raise your kids and how to worship God. And We've become a culture. We've become a generation of how-tos. It's very interesting. This is very easily proven. Look throughout history, church history, just say the last 75, 100 years. And they didn't write books on how-tos. They were, the books 75, 100 years ago were books more on the lines of why-tos. Because God is great. 
you should be this way because God is great. Years ago, Christians were focused on God. Now it seems Christians are focused on self. We're writing songs from a vertical standpoint. Years ago, people looked up as they set their hearts before the Lord. Nobody taught anybody about worship years ago. Worship came out of experience. Worship was the result of spending time and reading God's word. Worship was the result of intimacy with God. And now we're writing books on how to do it. Is that right? You think? You think you're going to learn how to worship God by reading a book? (laughs) <laughs> okay. Yes, you keep on that Bible, sweet. How old are you? 17. 17. Praise the Lord. Y'all need to clap your hands. That's right. I said, for those of y'all that couldn't see, which is everybody, I said, you think you're going to learn worship God by reading books on how to? And we all know the answer is no. And then that... 17-year-old teenager who knows stuff that I know 60-year-old people don't know, held a Bible up and said, this is how you're going to learn to worship God. Is she right about it? All right. You keep doing what you're doing. Do you. Don't worry about nobody else. (laughs) Nehemiah is walking around looking at the ruins, looking at the devastation, And there's no how-to books. There's no plan B. Nehemiah has just traveled 900 miles, and he's got some letters in his hand, and he's all all alone, and nobody knows what's on his heart. Notice in verse 17, please look at your Bibles. Nehemiah says, you see the distress that we're in, that Jerusalem lies in waste, and the gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build up the walls of Jerusalem so that we're not a reproach among the nations. And then in verse 18, Did I read verse 18? And I told them, are you looking at verse 18? Say amen. Amen. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. And so they said, let us rise up and build. And then they set their hands to this good work. But when Sambalot, the Hornite, Tobiah, the Ammonite, and now they got a new evil friend, Geshem, the Arab, heard of it. They laughed us and despised us. And they said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? And so in verse 20, I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. And you have no heritage, no right, and no memorial in Jerusalem. Now stop right there. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) Nehemiah says, you see the distress that we're in? Jerusalem lies in waste and the gates are burned. And then he told them that God's hand was good upon him. In verse 18, he told them that he had authorization from the king, Artaxerxes. And then they said, let us rise up and build. And they strengthened their hands for this good work. And Nehemiah said, it's the Lord. And I know it because the king, even even the king has given me permission. And they said, let us build. Let us get this thing together. Why? Why did they all of a sudden get on board? Because Nehemiah spent time with the Lord. God's power was on his life. 
and his life was ablaze for the kingdom. People can see that, and that's infectious. In other words, you can't give someone something you don't have. You can't give someone the measles if you don't have them. (laughs) Amen. They saw Nehemiah's passion, and it stirred their hearts to do the work. Did you get that? It stirred their hearts to do the work. Now, I'm running out of time. But I, I got to give you these. these. These are important. I want you to see really quickly seven things that I noticed and write them down and try to write quick if you can. Seven things that Nehemiah did that were very wise. Number one, Nehemiah wisely went to the leaders of Jerusalem. He had to. Certain people were essential to the success of the project. Nehemiah number two, wisely asked to notice the obvious. Notice in verse 17, he says, you see the distress. Nehemiah said, that's pretty wise. He said, look, this is obvious. You see, we got problems. Number three, Nehemiah wisely did not come in acting like he was going to fix the problem. Notice he said the distress that we are in. Number four, Nehemiah wisely asked for them to partner with him. Come, let us build. Nehemiah's thinking if God can move upon the heart of a pagan king, then he can certainly move upon the hearts of his own people. Number five, Nehemiah wisely pointed them to the result that we may no longer be in reproach. In other words, that we might not live in shame and fear and poverty and insecurity among God's people. Number six, Nehemiah wisely, in verse 18, told them of the hand of my God, which had been upon me. He's telling them, listen, this isn't my project. It's God's project. It's God's fingerprint that's stamped on this project, not mine. In verse, in the, finally, in, in number seven, Nehemiah wisely gave them confidence by telling them of what God had already done. Nehemiah is saying, I know God's hand is behind this because he turned the heart of the king of Persia to give me letters and timber and support the project. And notice what me and Nehemiah didn't do. He didn't beg or make deals with them. Nehemiah had a high calling from God and asked others to be a part of it, but he never stopped treating it like it was a high calling from God. He didn't say, listen, if you guys get behind this, we'll give you some incentives, some bonus rewards, a weak timeshare at the Sea of Galilee. Nehemiah looked to the Lord to provide the inward motivation, not depending on external motivation, manipulation, guilt, and pressure. Look at verse 19. We meet again, Sambalot and Tobiah, again, a new friend, a new enemy, Geshem. When they heard of it, they laughed and mocked and despised. Are you looking at verse 19? And I can imagine they're standing there looking at Nehemiah thinking, And just what do you think you're doing? You're not an architect. You're not a construction guy. Uh, Let's see your resume. Uh, Oh, yeah. um, Oh, oh, yeah. You're a cupbearer, huh? A cupbearer. What do you do? You you drink wine for the king. 
What do you think you're doing? You've been sipping on the way here? Doesn't that sound like you're going out to battle with a giant with a slingshot and a stone, David? You're going to hold a stick up and the Red Sea is going to part Moses? You're going to break a pitcher and blow a trumpet and 135,000 Midianites are going to go running away? Gideon? See, that's exactly what Satan does when you seek to accomplish something for the Lord. He mocks and he laughs, doesn't he? First, he'll seek to laugh it in your face. You lead a Bible study. What a joke. You witness at work. They're not going to listen to you. You be involved in ministry. Pray for the sick. You can't get a headache healed. How are you going to pray for the sick? Satan will mock you, hoping that you'll listen and back off. Notice in verse 20. Nehemiah, and I'm coming for a landing right here. Nehemiah gave the right answer. The God of heaven will prosper us. You know, I get a sense, I was reading this earlier, I get a sense of like this holy boldness from Nehemiah. Nehemiah is saying, go ahead, take your best shot. It won't work. God is with us. He isn't with you. You will fail. We will prosper under the God of heaven. It's like he's saying, listen, I don't care what you think. It doesn't matter if you're against us. God will cause us to succeed. Notice Nehemiah didn't put the work on hold while a crisis response team figured out the best way to answer Sambalot and Tobiah. Did you get that? Nehemiah wasn't going to let them sidetrack him. Listen, he had a work to do and he was going to do it. Listen, this is huge. If you allow the enemy to sidetrack you from what God has called you to do, you are giving him more glory than he deserves, as well as if you stop doing what God called you to do, then the enemy has won. I don't care what it is. Sickness. If I'm not in this pulpit because I'm sick, you better believe I'm just too sick to stand here and me standing here would be more of a distraction to you than it would be a blessing. Nothing's going to hinder me from getting here. As God gives me grace, I realize there are times where God says, I, you know, you need to rest and you need to get healed before you can go back. To, I got all that. But I got to know that that's God. I know people right now serving the Lord and they're serving him faithfully and they've got sickness in their body, but they're believing God for healing. And while they're believing God for healing, they're serving the Lord. That's what you do. You don't stop because that's Satan trying to get you sidetracked. That's Satan trying to get you off track so that you miss the blessings of God and you start giving him more glory than he deserves. Notice Nehemiah says, you have no right or heritage or memorial in Jerusalem. In other words, Nehemiah and his boys were born Jews by birth. Sambalot, Tobiah, and Geshem may have, been, may have been legal citizens of Jerusalem. They may even have owned property in the city, but their hearts showed they had no heritage. Their hearts showed they had no right, no memorial in God's city. In other words, Nehemiah is saying, you don't care about this city because it's not your homeland. And you don't really belong here. God is doing a great work here. And you don't want to be a part of it. That's fine. Keep moving. You don't want to miss it. Next week, we'll talk about the gates. Now listen, I know that if you read this on your own, you will get quite sleepy. 
It's very true. Although, I think, not next, I said next week, it's next time. Next week is communion. It's next time. Uh, We are going to look at this. The thing that's very interesting in this chapter, in chapter 3, listen. 28 times we see the word next to. Next to. Interesting. 28 times you see the word next to. In other words, as I've been telling you, and we've kind of been talking about on Sunday mornings, about one another, we need one another. And you need the person next to you on the wall doing the work of the kingdom. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at one 800 293 That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.